struggling right here. Just a second. I don't know how Treb does this with this thing. He's one talent that he has, I guess. Here we go. Is that on? Um, kind of. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Megan and I got married in June. I graduated from OU last spring, and yeah, we crew uh, the college ministry we're involved with has really been influential, had been influential in our lives um, in college. And so, this is, okay. Uh, and so we decided we really wanted to pour back in. Uh, we learned really how deep of our relationship with God we can have through grace. And so, yeah, we're doing a couple of years with crew, and it's been incredible. And uh, Trev didn't ask me to speak today because I have it all together. And actually, the point of my talk is that we, we don't and can't have it all together, so that's the kicker if you have to leave. Um, but um, today we're going to talk kind of about an interaction that Jesus had with Peter, and I, I love Peter. What I love about Peter is he's constantly screwing up, um, and, and I think, you know, if you were going to fake this thing, if you are going to make it up, you'd totally leave out Peter. I mean, he's one of those guys that gets so passionate, and then right at the right time, he's like, says something, and then it's like, insert foot into mouth, right? Like, you shouldn't have said that. You know, he's like, cutting off the soldier's ear, and like, just doing things um, that a heroic character probably wouldn't do. And so, um, we're going to look at kind of a a passage that this spring has been really influential in my life, uh, where Peter kind of follows Jesus for the first time. So, before we do that, uh, let me pray for us. Father, thank you Um, that you are who you say you are. Thank you for your son and and for the grace that you've shown us through him. Um, God, you're so good to us, even when we don't deserve it. And so I just ask this morning that uh, you would center our hearts on you and uh, grow us closer to you in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so flip with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going, to read, we're going to read 1 through 11. First, we're going to read uh, 1 through 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemane with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into the one, of the, one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Okay. Pause for one second. Um, Just to kind of set up the context here. People would obviously follow Jesus. We know that, right? He had his disciples, the 12, that stayed with him uh, and followed him, really left everything that they had. And so we know that people followed Jesus. But people, a lot of people followed Jesus. Um, he, was, he was speaking, okay, not only was he performing miracles, but he was also speaking from Scripture as one that had authority. So rabbis in that day would speak and say, you know, you know, so-and-so said this about this, this passage in the law, um, and this is what I think this means based off of what they said, and then, you know, what they said. And Jesus would come in and say, you've heard it said this, but I said And so he would come in and speak, speak authoritatively 
uh, over Scripture. And so it really drew people in. There's something different about him as he claims to be the Son of God. But also, yeah, he would perform miracles. He would do these miraculous things and showed compassion to people. And so large crowds would follow him because, first of all, he claimed to forgive sins, but at the same time, he would heal. I mean, if you're a blind person or, or you have leprosy, you, you long to be, um, have this condition alleviated. And so, at times, thousands of people would be following Jesus. And this is an instant where uh, there's a large crowd uh, pressing on him so much so that he approaches the lake and then sees see these boats. He'd, he'd met Peter and these fishermen before. And he says, hey, you know, can I, can I use your boat? Can I teach from your boat? And so imagine Peter kind of retreats from the water and, and is teaching from the boat um, the people that are, that are on the shore. Um, and so that's kind of, kind of where we're coming, coming from context-wise for, for the people that were following Jesus. But then as far as these fishermen, Jesus had met them before. And it's interesting about Peter's response is, hey, we've, we've been fishing all night. Like... Um, when Jesus says, hey, let's, let's put out the next for a catch, Peter responds, you know, we, this is what I do, right? And, and they're exhausted. They're washing their nets, right? Uh, getting their nets ready for the next day or for the next night, if they fish at night. And, and Jesus is like, hey, let's go, let's go fishing. And so they're like, we're exhausted, right? This is, this is what they do to provide for their families. And and it was significant. It was, their, it was their full-time gig. And so not only at the end of this night of fishing were they exhausted, uh, but if it's how they're going to provide for their families, they're incredibly discouraged, right? They haven't caught anything. And so in that moment, Jesus comes in and he's like, I'm sure it wasn't a short, like, five-minute, hey, that's what I think. He's coming to bring, the, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so I'm sure he talked for a while, right? And so after he's, he's teaching... He says, hey, let's, let's fish some more. And they're like, we've tried. Peter's an expert, really, at this point. He had a wife and, and was probably younger than Jesus, but had been doing this for years. And so the idea of, hey, I'm a fisherman. I know you're a rabbi that speaks of authority. Yeah, maybe you're a prophet from God, but like, I, I know there aren't any fish. <laughs> like, I just don't believe that you can find something that I, I haven't found. And that's how, that's how Peter respo- responds in being discouraged and exhausted, okay? Uh, let's keep reading. Verse 6. When they had done so, so they, they do, they say, you know, Peter says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So I think we can look at this passage and just straight up see, okay, there's abundance with Jesus, right? We, if you're skimming through scripture and you read this, it's like, all right, boom, trust Jesus, abundance, great. Uh, some people would go and say, if you trust Jesus, life's going to be easy, right? You're going to make money in business, right? Look, Jesus gave them a bunch of fish, right? He cares about your business and he wants to make you rich. That's not, that's not the case. It's not the abundance that Jesus is talking about um, or displaying because uh, if you look at verse 11, it says, they left the fish. 
He gave them the biggest catch they'd probably ever caught. And they're so enamored in him that they, they leave all the fish. It's not about abundance monetarily or financially. It's about abundance spiritually through Christ. And constantly throughout scripture, Jesus comes and he, he puts on display the character of God. He, he came to teach, but yeah, he came to act in a perfect way and glorify God, but represent us, represent him to us so that we could understand. And so Jesus comes and says, look, there is abundance with me. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm, uh, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who follows me will never thirst. There's this spiritual abundance that comes with knowing Christ. And we all are really longing to know our creator. There's something of satisfaction that we're all yearning for. And whether we recognize it or not, all of our actions point to it. We, we hope in this next phase of life or this new TV or this new car or a new relationship. And so we're constantly longing for something new. And scripture throughout is, is really saying, look, what you're really longing for is the spiritual relationship abundance that comes with God through Christ. And so I think that's, that's first of all, what, what Jesus is putting on display here through, through this interaction with Peter. But I think, think there's something more. They've just caught an enormous amount of fish. Okay, think like lottery, right? They're, they probably haven't ever caught, both of their boats are sinking. I mean, if they normally catch as much fish, they would have built bigger boats, right? I mean, they got two and they're both sinking. So it's like, this is huge. This is a big deal. Um, and so the fact that, that they caught such a huge number of fish and it's like the best news probably ever for them and their families, why does Peter fall on his face and say, please go away from me? Like, it's like moment to like jump up and down, like, Jesus, you're awesome. Like, thanks for doing this, right? This, like, even more being enamored in who he was. But Peter falls on his face and he says, go away from me. Why does he do that? It doesn't make sense. Jesus is a compassionate guy. Um, he's, he's obviously knows spiritually, really, the kingdom of God, and he cares for Peter. So why would Peter do this? And Really, being in college ministry, the, the best analogy I can come up with is this. And it has to do with Kevin Durant. And so if it's heresy, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm going to relate Jesus to Kevin Durant. So um, everyone would generally look at Kevin, right, and like him, right? He's, he's uh, if, you, if you're walking down the street, you're walking down Bricktown, and you run into Kevin Durant, like, you kind of want to, you want to know him. You're not going to like, there's Kevin, and like try to get away from him. People are like, I want your autograph, right? They want to, they want to know Kevin Durant, uh, you know, but even more so if Kevin knows you, that's a big deal, right? If you tweet at Kevin and Kevin tweets back, it's like, whoa, tell all my friends. Um, and so there's this general, really, this inclination to know him because of his status and, and who he is, right? So, which begs the question, who's the person that doesn't want to run into Kevin Durant, you know? Maybe it's the guy that just got slammed on by him. But I, I, I think a, a more clear picture would be like somebody in, in Edmond that, that breaks into Kevin's house and steals his TV, his car, and like a Texas jersey, right? Like the person that has taken what's Kevin's um, because he saw that he had money and then robbed him and, and taken what's not his. That's the kind of person that when walking down the street is like, okay, I, like hiding from Kevin. Um, because they recognize that they've offended the person in the status of them, 
right? And that's exactly what's happening here with Peter. He, he recognizes, wow, okay, there's something about him like, either he's all-knowing in the sense that, like, he knew where there would be fish, um, or he's powerful enough to, like, manipulate the fish and, like, fish, go here, and then our net's just, like, scooped on that. There's something special about him that I don't have. But not only that, I just doubted who he was. I just offended, uh, I just offended him. I, I, I may even spoke a little bit out of arrogance thinking I'm the expert here. And so he speaks to Jesus in a way that's like, After Jesus gives them this abundance of fish, Peter's like, oh my gosh, please be away from me because he he recognizes he's offended the one in authority. So imagine for you, imagine someone um, maybe above you that's been influential in your life. Someone maybe that's been in a place of authority. Um, Picture that person. Maybe it's uh, a former professor. Maybe it's Treb. Maybe it's a parent, a grandparent, someone that's that's cared for you um, and and been influential. Think for a second and, and picture who's the first person that comes to your mind. Now imagine that behind their back one day, you say you want nothing to do with them. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about, they aren't who they say they are, and you don't even respect them enough to say that you know them. Then you turn around and he or she is standing right there. How do you feel? That is the story of Peter's life. And that's, that's what he does right here. He, he says, look, I don't, I don't believe that you are who you say you are. I, don't, I doubt that this, this could really happen. Um, and he ends up trusting Jesus, but there, there's this offense that happens, and, and that's why he falls on his face. Because he understood the power and authority of the person in front of him, and he understood his offense, but he also understood this person has cared for me, he's provided for me, and how do I respond? Uh, with doubt, and maybe with arrogance? And so in that moment, Peter realizes he's worthy of punishment and, and really nothing less. And he he's, hasn't done anything to des- deserve love from Jesus at all. And if, you, if we look through scripture, there's very similar, there's similar interactions like this throughout. Uh, one of them is with Isaiah. Isaiah has a vision that he, he sees the Lord, the throne room of God, and he sees the holiness of God. And he falls to his face and he says... I'm unworthy. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. What's crazy is Isaiah was a legit guy. Spiritually, he predicted, uh, well, first of all, things that he wrote are in the Bible. And then with that, or said, and then with that, he predicted, predicted the life of Christ. Not only the life of Christ, but the death of Christ. And so spiritually, Isaiah had it going on, right? And yet, he falls to his face and says, before the holiness of God, I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. This is characteristic throughout Scripture. If you read through Scripture, people are constantly falling on their faces, realizing, I'm unworthy, and I deserve punishment against someone that, that's only loved me. And, and this is really this kind of offense and, and talking behind back and arrogance is, is really what, we're doing constantly in our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we think, uh, 
you know, talk behind someone else's back. So just something smaller. Maybe a little white lie here to make someone feel better. Or uh, maybe I'll just cheat here a little bit in business, but it'll be good for me in the long run, right? God wants to bless me. And these, these small little things, like, I, I, don't, I can't forgive them. That's too hard, right? They've offended me. Or I can't get over this relationship from my past. And, and we're constantly, what we're saying to Jesus is, I, I just don't believe that you are who you say you are. I don't believe that your words really carry the power that they do, and I don't, I, don't re, I don't respect you. That's what we're really saying in those tiny little things. That's the condition spiritually that the Bible tries to paint the picture for us. It tries to just help us realize that's where we're at. That's who we are. That's who I am. Sure, I can get up here and talk and, and talk from Scripture, but spiritually, I, I'm, I'm bankrupt. It's interesting is, okay, that's how Peter, that's the interaction between Peter and Jesus. That's how Peter responds to this blessing that Jesus has. Now let's look at how, how Jesus responds. Um, let's see, in verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Peter, in this moment, has offended Jesus, and Jesus knows that he'll continue to do this, Jesus, yeah, I'm going to follow you forever, right? And then he denies him three times. He says, I don't, I don't, hey, were you with him? No, I don't know the guy. Um, Jesus knows that. He knows that Peter's going to do that. And yet, he says, it's okay. Don't be afraid. I, I approve of you. I accept you regardless. I'm not going to punish you. And I think this is a fantastic representation of the gospel. Christ came to teach us about the kingdom of God, but he also came to put on display how God interacts with us and responds to us in our sin. And so he's offering glimpses of what we would call in the future, what we call now the good news. He responds in a way that is good news. He says, don't be afraid. I think what's, what's also interesting about this is the entire time, Jesus is pursuing Peter. So often we think, Okay, I need, to pursue, I need to pursue God, right? Or I'm doing well pursuing God. Or I'm going to church, I'm doing these things. But that's not the biblical picture. Peter's minding his business. He's washing his nets, they've been fishing. Jesus pursues him. It's like, hey, can I use your boat? Then, hey, can we go fishing? Then, hey, do you want to be part of my ministry? Jesus is constantly pursuing Peter. Yet, Peter continually screws up. And so Jesus shows him this mercy, this favor. But he also shows him something called grace. Uh, that's really what I want to talk about today. Something that's changed my life. And it's what's, grace is what separates Christianity from really every, every other train of thought in the world. Uh, so with crew, we went uh, to the Dominican Republic over spring break and took 21 students. It was a really good trip. Uh, pretty much my entire job was just counting heads the entire time and making sure everyone got on a plane to come back. It's easy to get them there. It's really hard to get them back. Um, just kidding. Um, but what we got to do is we got to take this message of grace, this message of good news, the gospel, of how Jesus responds to us in our sin, to Dominican students. They have a crew movement. They have a crew ministry with a staff team and interns and involved students down there in Santo Domingo, just like we do in Norman. And so as we would approach students, um, hey, do you speak English? And then start to talk about other things. Uh, For a lot of them, the culture is they grow up in church. They believe in God. 
They also believe and understand that they've offended God. But there's this thought that, okay, the way I get right with God is by becoming better. And so we're coming to bring the good news that actually Jesus responds before that and says, look, there's nothing you can do, but guess what? I I approve of you in your sin. And so we we took that message of good news to them. um, And it was cool because then when we left, we got to connect them to the staff team and the interns and the students that are there. So we didn't just leave them um, high and dry. It was really cool, but there's an analogy that the interns there use to explain grace to their students. And I thought it was fabulous, and so I'm going to share it um, today. And it's called, they call it the motorcycle example, okay? So imagine, uh, just like we've just imagined Kevin Durant, right? Kevin's not in the picture anymore, though. Imagine that you've got a brand new motorcycle, okay? You, you have been saving for a while, and you purchased this new bike, uh, and it's awesome. You, you bought, like, the fastest one on the market because you want to be legit, and it's the newest thing, right? And so what you do is you take a weekend stroll, and then you, you park at a cafe, and you purposely pick a table kind of outside so that you can chill and, like, sip your latte, and then your bike can sit in the sun just perfectly so it's like the sun, like, hits the chrome, and you're just like, man, I'm so cool, right? And so that's, that's this picture, right? You're, enam- you're enamored in yourself as you look at your bike, uh, and excited about the life to come, sure. So you turn to pay the waitress, and, and a- after you turn, you turn back around a-, a few moments later and realize that someone's just stolen your motorcycle. And you're furious, and actually, you turn and look down the road, and you see the guy on your bike as it's going down. Uh, unfortunately, you bought the fastest one, so he's zooming away. And you, you leap to get up, you knock your chair over, and you start to run down the street. Furious. You can't believe that someone would do this to you. And so as you're chasing him, there's, there's this emotional anger that's driving you to run, even though there's no way you can catch up to him. And so you're running, and you see him pass the first intersection, and then pass the second. And then as he passed the third, boom, a truck hits him. And, and all of a sudden, everything kind of changes. You're still unbelievably frustrated and angry. But now it's like there's a guy on the ground bleeding. And so there's like, okay, I'm so mad. He stole my bike, and now my bike's across the intersection in pieces. But at the same time, it's like, but this guy is hurt. And so there's compassion. And so you're dealing with like these emotions, and you run, and you sprint, and you finally get there with this mess of emotion. You've really got three options. There's three things that we can do in response. And the first one is this. It's easy. Uh, it's called justice, right? He, he stole your bike. It doesn't matter for what reason. Uh, he broke the law and took what was rightfully yours, and so you call the police. And being in an international uh, jail, he'll probably die. Uh, he, he gets what he deserves, really. I mean, he stole your bike and broke the law. Justice. The second option, however... It's mercy, right? You, you get there, and yeah, like, he took what wasn't his, but I have compassion on the guy. Like, he's, regardless, it's a guy on the ground bleeding. I want to help him. And so the compassion overwhelms you to, to not call the cops. You withhold from justice and say, you know what, like, I need to help this guy. I'll, I'll deal with my bike later, but let's, uh, let's at least get him to the hospital. And so load him up in, in your imaginary car, you got a car. Um, load them up in your car. See, I'm, it's, you make them up as you go. Um, you load them up in your car, call your friend, uh, ru- 
drive him to the hospital, and, and make sure that he gets the care that he needs because you have compassion for him. That's mercy, the withholding of, of justice, the withholding of punishment because of compassion. But the third option is grace. And grace is, it's, there's an element of mercy in grace, and it's, it's fueled, yeah, from compassion, and it's, I'm not going to give him the justice. I'm not going to call the police because I have compassion on him and I want to alleviate his condition. And so you, you take him to the hospital and um, you wait with him, actually. And so you wait with him to get better. And you stay, it, a few days becomes a week. A few weeks becomes a month. And then after a month or two, he's finally better. And, and you help him get home and then you pay for all of his medical bills and buy him a brand new motorcycle. That doesn't make sense at all. Like, it probably it maybe makes you a little bit uncomfortable in your seat. That doesn't make sense. He doesn't deserve that at all. He doesn't done anything to merit a motorcycle that wasn't his in the first place, right? Yet that's the picture of Christianity. That is the faith that we believe in. Um, and that's how Jesus responds to Peter, okay? Mercy would be Jesus saying, you know, Peter, you've doubted me as the son of God. You've doubted my authority and my power. Um, don't be afraid, though. That would be mercy. Jesus just stops and says, look, speak favor over you. I accept you regardless. It's okay. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, Peter, look, I, I know you've offended me, and I know that you've doubted, and so you've fallen on your face. But guess what? I'll show you mercy. Uh, don't be afraid. But he goes a step further and he goes, hey, Peter, regardless of what just happened here, hey, um, I want to bless you. Do you want to be on my team? Hey, I'm, I'm here. Uh, the, really, the whole reason I'm here is to reconcile the entire whole world to God. Uh, that's what they're longing, to, they're longing to know him. And as a son of God, that's my mission. I'm here to reconcile everyone and to accomplish that. Uh, you want to do that with me? What has Peter done to deserve any role in the kingdom of God? Nothing. He's only offended, really, Jesus, the Son of God. Yet, Jesus says, not only will I show you mercy, but I want to bless you. I want to invite you to really have one of the most significant roles the church will ever see. Jesus offers Peter everything um, for nothing. And that's grace. And so, we tend to doubt the ability of God to love us really based on who we were in the past, what we've done, or our inability, I I can't follow him well in the future or even now. Likewise, I think we we tend to doubt God's ability to use us. Like, does he know who I was or what I've done or really my inability now or in the future to follow him well? Surely he can't use me. But as we can see with, with Peter, um, all Jesus really wants from Peter is his trust, right? I mean, he just says, he's, trust me, hey, let's, put, let's, let's go fishing. Put down your nets. And, and this element of trust uh, comes through really when, you, when we talk about faith, being it is by grace we're saved through faith. Um, a verse in Ephesians 2. Really what Paul is talking about is trust. It's trust in Jesus, um, rather than this performance of let me pick myself up and be great so that he'll accept me, it's I don't have anything. And, and C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this. I've been reading a book by him called Mere Christianity. You've probably heard of it. 
Um, talks about how the basis of our faith is that there's this God of authority and power that we long to know. And as much as we long to know him and to be close to him, uh, we're constantly screwing up. We're constantly failing to stay close and in right relation with him. And actually, if we think we're doing well, we're actually probably quite further still. Um, But he says the moment when we can get into right relation with this loving, powerful, beautiful God uh, is the moment we we realize that we're utterly spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing that we can do to offer him to make ourselves presentable. That's exactly what happens to Peter when he falls on his face and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. C.S. Lewis says it's the change from being confident about our own efforts to the state in which we despair of doing anything for ourselves and leave it to God. And that's exactly what it means to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus means I have nothing to offer you, God, or to, to merit acceptance into a relationship with you. And so trusting Jesus means, Jesus, you, I need you. I need your performance for me. I need, I need your reconciling act on the cross to, to be enough and to be sufficient. And it's really trusting that he is who he says he is, that uh, his, his performance was sufficient. That in my inability, he doesn't just respond with mercy, but he responds with grace and says, let me give you something you never deserved. C.S. Lewis um, goes on to say this. He says, he, he digs a little deeper with this idea of trust. And so maybe, maybe you, you've said at one point, you know, I've trusted Christ with my life, with my salvation, right? He, he goes on to say, you know, this trust really is actually very deep. If it's real and if it's tangible, he says, to trust him means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trust a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, but trying in a new way a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. It's interesting because I think in our Christian culture we tend to talk a lot about responsibility. This is what we need to do as, as the Christian. This is the Christian way of doing things. If you're really walking with God, this is what you'll be like. And so kind of what that creates is this mentality in us. In the back of our mind, it's, okay, I need to do these things. And as I do these things, maybe someday he'll love me. Maybe someday he'll accept me. Maybe someday I'll actually be worthy or I'll actually have a good relationship with him. And there's this kind of fear in the back of our, back of our head kind of chirping at us the entire time. What I love about this passage is that Jesus actually does it the exact opposite. He says, hey, guess what, Peter? All you've proven to me is that you can fail. And in that, I approve. Now do you want to follow me? And so it's the approval before the request to follow, right? And so we tend to stack responsibility up in the hope that we'll get approval, but that's not the good news. The good news is we haven't done anything to deserve any approval whatsoever, and he dumps it on us. And then he invites us, says, hey, do you want to experience me? Like, you can trust me and you can follow me. And it's actually a gift. It's a blessing that you would get to know intimately the God of the universe. And so, follow me. And that's 
exactly, I think, why they leave all the fish, right? I mean, this whole interaction, if it were me, I'd be there so unbelievably amazed at the catch of fish that has just happened. And yet, Peter and all the guys, they're so unbelievably amazed in the fact that, why would you respond to me this way when all I've done is offended you? The Son of God, why would you respond to me not only with mercy but with grace? That doesn't make sense. No one's acted like this to me before. And if you're the representation of God, I want to know you. Like, can I know you? Can I? And so it's this, it doesn't. The fish don't matter. It doesn't matter. He he wants to know Jesus. I get to experience Jesus, and that's really what C.S. Lewis is talking about. This trust it becomes a gift. I get to know him, and that. Is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that God knows that we can't and he invites us anyway. And he says, look, through Christ, I approve of you. Now follow me. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be messy. It's not gonna be comfortable. It's gonna be dangerous. It actually probably won't make sense to the world, the life that you may start to live. But you get to experience me. Got a, a few questions just kind of to close us, um, introspective kind of questions. The first one is this. What do you think of when you think of the name of Jesus? When you think of the Son of God, um, you know, is, is there maybe a hint of fear in the back of your head? I hope I'm good enough someday. I hope I can I'll become presentable. hope I can do well. Or maybe is there a little bit of arrogance? Wow, I'm glad I've done well. Glad he accepts me. Uh, look at me. I'm glad I've done better than them. Or have, uh, have we, as a church, realized our spiritual bankruptcy, realized that we have nothing to offer? And in the moment of our bankruptcy, Jesus says, guess what? That's when I approve. Has the name of Jesus become sweet to you? Uh, second question is this. Uh, do we trust him? Do we trust him? Is our, lo- is our life... Are our lives marked by my desires, my dreams? This is what I want to accomplish. This is, this is what I want to save. This is, it's all about me. I'm driving this thing. Or have we realized he offers me something so much greater uh, and my life's not my own. <laughs> it is a gift in the first place. Uh, do you trust him? And, and maybe more specifically with what things maybe uh, do you need to trust Jesus? Maybe it's a relationship Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, it's shame about my past and this is who I was and overcoming the reality that I can't perform um, and that, that past action. Maybe it's trusting Jesus with that, that, that you can't do it for him and yet he accepts you. Maybe it's you know, trusting, someone that you, trusting Jesus with someone that you need to forgive. Uh, and showing the forgiveness, the mercy to someone else that you've been shown. Or maybe it's, it's maybe even showing someone grace, uh, despite an offense. With what specifically maybe uh, Jesus longing to have you trust him with, uh, so that he can show really the spiritual abundance, that, the satisfaction and the joy that he longs to offer you through that. And the last, last question is this. Uh, do you feel like God can use you? Do you feel like, or maybe, do you feel like God can't use you? Is there this nagging voice in the back that says, you know, 
based off of what, who I was, what I did, my inability to follow him well now or, or in the future ever, I just I don't think he can use me. Uh, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes in and, and he's not in the game of gathering based off of resume. He's not in the, in the game of gathering based off of performance. Uh, he says, look, all I really want is for you to realize that you can't. And then head over heels, fall in love with me, and trust me that I can be enough for you. He says, Peter, you want to go with me? Let's do this. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that in our inability and in our bankruptcy and in our uh, lack of staying in right relationship with you, uh, you pursue us anyway. That you, you chase after us and, and you bless us and you offer us a role. Um, pray that we would be free from performance free from thinking that we're unworthy. God, because we are. It's no joke. It's, it's, not, it's not hidden. God knows it. Um, thank you that you speak favor of us anyway. Pray that that favor, that radical grace would compel us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and just uh, ask God, as we sing this last song, let's just reinforce what he's been speaking to us this morning. Let's let it really get into our hearts. Let's ask him to, uh, to let it become a part of who we are and uh, how our mind and heart works. my eyes to the things unseen show me I love like you have loved me break my heart for one break yours everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity, I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people sing, the people sing. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith, with selfless faith. 
see a near revival, stirring as we pray and seek, cause we're on our knees, we're on our knees, Hosanna, Hosanna. Yeah. 